The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Our guest today, A.H. Almas, also known as Hamid Ali, is a Kuwaiti-born American, a prolific author, a world-renowned spiritual teacher, and the founder of The Diamond Approach, which works with, but ultimately moves beyond, the tools of psychology and spirituality, and moves toward a more holistic understanding of all life as a manifesting of the absolute, which we call by different names, Tao, God, Allah, Mother, Brahman, etc. His new book is Keys to the Enneagram, How to Unlock the Highest Potential of Every Personality Type. A.H. Almas, welcome to Spirituality and Health Magazine. Well, hi, Rami. Glad to be here. Well, I very much appreciate your being here. I have been reading your books for years, and we were just talking a moment ago that you and I actually met once when you were giving a keynote address at the Inner Directions Conference in La Jolla, California. I don't know, 30 years ago. I have no idea, but it was a long time ago. I was the MC. You were the featured speaker. And I managed to steal you away. We went for a walk and, and I got to pick your brain and, and listen to your wisdom. And it's a shame that I haven't been in touch since, but I have been reading the books. In fact, this new book, Keys to the Enneagram, seems to be, I don't know if this is really the right way to put it, but seems to be a sequel to an earlier book you did, really 20 years ago, also on the Enneagram called Facets of Unity, the Enneagram of Holy Ideas. And I have to tell you, I use that book all the time. In fact, I'm doing this conversation on the Enneagram on, on Zoom recently, and, and that was the book, because it's such a different take on the Enneagram compared to, to, I think, all of the other Enneagram books that are out there. What led you to revisit the Enneagram 20 years later? Well... At the time, I had uh, understanding of the vision that made me write that book, the facet two of unity. At the same time, I had more understanding and knowledge as part of that uh, vision, which I didn't think of writing about at that time because uh, the holy ideas were something that nobody writes about in the Enneagram world, which is a huge world now. So many books, so many authors. So I wrote about the, the holy ideas to present the holy ideas, the true meaning of the holy ideas. But then in time, I realized that the holy idea book is not approachable by many of the readers of the Enneagram. It's, it's uh, pretty advanced, spiritually speaking. 
So I wanted, so then I thought, well, maybe then the rest of that understanding and knowledge will help approach that book and can become a book on its own, has its own wisdom. So that's why I decided to write it. It's really, uh, I think people should read this book first, the key to the Enigab, then read the holy ideas. I, I should have done it that way, but I did it the opposite way. Well, I, I have to agree that, and, and both points, one, the, the facets of unity is not an easy read, whereas the keys to the Enneagram is much more accessible. And I agree that if people are listening and you're wondering, oh, where should I start? Start with keys to the Enneagram. And then when you finish that book, don't imagine you, I got it now. I get it. I, I understand my, my Enneatype or whatever. Go on to read Facets of Unity. It's like going from an undergrad course to a grad course. It's really, really deep and powerful. And if you have some grounding in the Enneagram by reading Keys to the Enneagram, moving on to Facets of Unity is, can, can only be to your, your benefit. And, and I have to really applaud you for, for you know, realizing, well, I know more now than I did before. Not everyone, especially in the spiritual author world, you know, admits to that. Like, well, I had my, my revelation and it's always been there and I haven't changed my mind. And so I'm not gonna, I don't need to, to admit that I've changed. But, you know, you're taking a much more honest approach and, and I appreciate that. You know, while I'm listening to you, even just briefly here, I imagine lots of people who are listening may know something about the Enneagram. And what they know is, I, I think a lot of people who know something about the Enneagram imagine it in terms of psychological type, you know, like another version of Myers-Briggs or DISC or something. And I, I want to underscore and, and have you underscore that you're going in a different direction. You're not really helping people understand their psychology and how to make peace with their uh, Enneagram type. You're going much further than that. I mean, I mean my, my sense is you can tell me if I'm, if I'm off. No, you're, you're right. You know, I, mean, I, I, I think I assume in the book, The Keys to the Enneagram, that the reader already familiar with the types, the psychological types, because I don't really give much explanation or description of the psychological types. So I assume some knowledge of that, and then I want them to go further by understanding how did this type come about? What is its inner uh, underpinnings, which takes it to its spiritual roots, which is the attempt of the book, really, which is in the way I present the book, both books, is that the Enneagram originally is a spiritual tool. It's not a typing, it's a topology, which is how many people see it. It is useful as a topology, but that is not its original ancient roots. And I adhere more to the original purpose, which is that it is a map or a way or a tool or knowledge that can help us open to our spiritual nature and hence to liberation and connection with the, with the divine and the so that's really, the, the, both books have that. And, and the, the new book, the, the Keys to the Enneagram, 
basically are called keys because each type has underlying it a particular way that spiritual nature manifests, particular way that is unique to an individual in the sense it is most easily accessible to them. And really the type is an outer reflection sort of that manifestation of spiritual nature. So by one knowing their type well and studying it, not taking it to be the final thing, then they could, one can find out what is the deeper uh, roots of it. And that way connecting with spiritual re- reality in a way that is unique to that type in the sense that I call it the natural endowment of that type. You know, I think a lot of people, and myself included, when I first learned of the Enneagram, you know, I took a test, and I'm an Enneagram 5. And, you know, I I learned that, and I said, ah, that explains all the things I do, now I know why I do what I do, and and that's it, it was was a better way to understand my egoic self. Yeah, it was fun, it was insightful, it was accurate. But it was all about it was all about my ego. Yeah. Not not in a negative sense. It was just like about myself with a lowercase s for self. But in your books, you, you it's like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> but look, if you go deeper, you're gonna go beyond the lowercase s self, the egoic self, into the non-dual capital S self, that that non-dual reality that you know, each of us, of which each of us is a part. And I, the Enneagram becomes, I mean, first of all, in the facets book, I mean, when you say facets, it's like, well, like in the diamond approach, I mean, there's a diamond, multiple facets, they're all faces of the same diamond. So the my being a five, it's just the five face of a diamond that I share with you and every other, you know, consciousness on, in the universe. So you really take it in a direction that most people will, A, benefit from, but also may not have thought about in, in the context of the Enneagram. What, I'm sure people are going to want to know, what, what's your type? I was typed by the person I learned it from, Frank Naranjo, as a five, too. Oh, so, okay, so we're both fives. We're, we're the best type. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't no, know. I, I'm kidding. I'm idea. kidding. But I know no, so, everybody. Well, some people think they're the worst. <laughs> the best. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there's some types that are so alien to me that I go, "Oh, yeah. Well, that definitely is not me. It doesn't make it bad. It's just definitely not me." So, how do you personally work? You, I mean, you can use the five as an example because that's you. Not the fact that we're both fives is. I would assume, incidental or an accidental. But how do you work with the knowledge that you're a five? If we can use you as an example, people might understand how they can work with their own type. Well, I think I'll use another type than five because the quality of the five is not easy for people to understand. Let's take uh, type eight. That's simpler. That's why I start the book with it which is 5-8 is more the loud uh, person considered uh, called ego-venge, but not necessarily vengeful, but you tend to be aggressive, loud, and and therefore justice and 
a thing like that. And what I usually work with it is first to learn that this type, the way that you have the strength and this loudness and capacity, which a person can be a bully or they can be just aggressive and, and not held back, is really uh, imply an ideal of how to be. That's what all the types are. There's an ideal I call ego ideal, which is common in, in, in uh, psychology that everybody, each ego has its ideal. And the ego is, is constructed around the ideal. So the eighth ideal is the ideal of being uh, strong, of being uh, powerful and strong and, and capable. And But the ideal is in the type becomes a little bit depending on how stuck a person is in the type. How stuck means how inflexible in terms of their identification with the patterns or qualities and uh, traits of the type. And the more one is rigid and stuck in it, the more that the ideal is uh, a more, not just a reflection of something real, but uh, some kind of a distortion of it. And the less stuck a person is, the less distortion and the more it's a reflection. And if you recognize, first, you're, you're, the eight would need to recognize their ideal, which is, the, I have the ideal, I want to be a really strong, capable, you know, powerful person who fights for justice. And to recognize this ideal, and then recognizing it's an idea, it's an idea, right? It's, a, it's an idea, an image. And to see that this idea, this image, reflects something more and more fundamental, deeper, some experiential way of experiencing one's being. And that will reveal that the ideal of the eight is a quality of spirit, I call it strength, which is more the fire of spirit, being uh, fire and red and hot and expansive and capable and when somebody has it it gives a sense of courage and boldness so it becomes distorted in the age it becomes sort of uh, sometimes loud or uh, unabashed or outrageous or sometimes destructive and but the real quality is, is collected and it's strong without having to be loud capable without having to be, you know, to be aggressive or that, it's just a matter of being uh, true courage and true boldness, that is just a quality of being. And if we connect with that, we recognize that the strength is really a sense of presence. I am, but here I am as I am strength, the strength of being, I am the strength of spirit. When one connects with that, that is the natural endowment of point eight. And that natural endowment is the, the quality that point eight is, that is most easily accessible to the eight type. Because there are other qualities, like point two, for instance, their quality, their, their essential 
the form that they idealize is a kind of melting love. Point eight can connect to melting love, but that's not what they gravitate. Their soul isn't sort of oriented that way, but it's oriented towards strength. And because, and when, but strength is the presence of, of spirit. And if one can be that, it makes it possible to connect with other ways of experiencing the spirit. And also, the point then that the, the type point they can use that capacity of boldness to be able to go to their holy ideas and unlock the inner hidden secrets and that block the holy idea. And, and that takes us then to the holy idea book. I think I heard this right. And I think it's important that people follow this idea that if whatever your, your number is, if you're striving to be that, then you're living the distorted view of that. If there's, if there's that kind of willful, egoic effort. But when you, when you don't strive to be an aid, when you don't feel that compulsion, then, assuming you're an aid, when you're not striving to be an eight, you're naturally an eight at its best. Is that is that fair? Well, yes, but uh, I want to refine this a little yeah. bit. Which is the eight is not even trying to be an eight. They are trying to be strong, real ah, strength. Right. Okay. And uh, they're trying to be the spiritual quality of true fire of spirit, but they're doing it through an external, emotional, or mental, or physical way of extemporizing something that is more intrinsic, more es essential, which is just being it. You, you don't do anything to be that. You know, you're just it. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. What, it, it seems that and I'm going to introduce an idea that you spend a lot of time on in facets of unity, but I think it's apropos here. <clears throat> the notion of basic trust, that if we come, I don't know if the word is into or out of our type, with a sense of basic trust, then we are the strength and we're not you know, striving to be strong. We are, we are that, that archetypal energy, whatever you know, we're going to call it. This idea of basic trust, I think, is difficult, not so much to understand, though I'm going to ask you to explain it, but I think it's difficult for a lot of people, or maybe I'm just projecting, it's difficult for me to, to, to experience. I mean, you, you talk about it and you say that basic trust is experienced as an unquestioned sense of safety and security that's intrinsic to the way you act and live. And... I'm not doubting the definition. I mean, that's from facets of unity. But I'm going, wow, do I have, and have I experienced an unquestioned sense of safety and security? 
I'd have to, maybe at moments, but certainly not on an ongoing basis. But basic trust is, yeah, I mean, sort of an attitude toward life. How, how, tell us more about basic trust, how you understand it, how it plays into the Well, I'm I'm happy you do that. Um, But not to take us to the other book, which is, uh, because it is where it's discussed in the other book, which is the fast immunity. You know, I remember when I first uh, learned about uh, quality of basic trust, I was working with students, and I noticed many of them were having difficulty, I didn't expect, in terms of accessing the sense of their spirit, the presence of their spirit, the, the I amness. And they were having difficulties that I didn't understand, and it took me for a while. Finally, I understood it, and I know, oh, yes, that's what it is. They, they are lacking something, and I ended up calling basic trust, because I realized I, I already had it. And I, wasn't, I didn't need to learn it right, you know, the way I learned it later. I had something about, about it, some integration of it. Then that led me to investigate it. And then turned out it is really, in, when investigating it, is that, that basic trust is the way, we, the way we feel when we come into the world first. When you imagine uh, an infant, when they're just born, assuming that their, their, their mother was healthy at uh, natural birth, and they come to the world, they have no fears, no distrust, no and safety. I mean, they're, they're safe unless something happens, something bad happens. So the feeling of inherent okayness, that things are fine, is inherent to the soul how, because it comes from a spiritual nature. However, in time, it becomes eclipsed and comes, comes distorted or lost because oh, we get clobbered in childhood and, and by our life circumstances and we lose touch of it, it becomes limited, but we never lose it completely. Different people have it to different degrees of freedom. So you say, you know, Rami, well, like to say a sense of, I'm sense of safety and complete, that is true, that is part of it. But basic trust is bigger than that. Basic trust is trusting that things work out, that the universe works out, that things work out. Like you trust, for instance, that the sun is going to come out tomorrow. You trust that you're going to wake up after you sleep. You trust that when you eat your food, it's going to be digested. You, all of that is implicit trust. You don't say, well, well, I don't know if I'm going to go to sleep now. I don't know if, I'm going to, if I can wake up. Most people don't do that. Some people do. They don't have that trust. If they go to sleep, they're going to wake up. And it's true sometimes. Some people don't wake up. But that's, you know, somebody dies in their sleep. But usually we have trust. Like we trust that our body works in general, our breathing works, our circulation works, until we get sick. And then we do, we have some questions. So, and we also trust that, you know, 
when you walk, your legs will work. You so there is so all that implies some kind of uh, level of basic trust. It can become more complete, more explicit when we feel it that regardless what happens, I am relaxed, I am at ease. There's an inner safety. That's the completeness of basic trust. But everybody grows up with a measure of it. If you don't have basic trust at all, you just won't survive as a being. You know, you, you won't trust that things will work out. So that's just the, the sense that things work out, that what I do will work out, that mind, mind can think, that, uh, you know, my body works, that... Uh, All that implies basic trust only unless something happens. And uh, but when we go to the spiritual level, we realize that basic trust is something inherent to the fact when we are in touch with our true nature, the spiritual nature, because it is indestructible and completely pure. There is trust that I'll be fine, regardless what happens. What happens in life, even things don't work out in my life, I'll be fine because I am essentially a, a, an indestructible spirit. That is the depth of it. And that, of course, uh, one has to be awakened to their essential spiritual nature to have that kind of basic trust. But there are all these degrees I mentioned about basic trust. Everybody has some level of basic trust, some more than others. You know, it's one way you could understand Jesus when he says you have to become like little children. I mean, because you, you said, you know, little babies, newborns come into the world with this sense of basic trust. I mean, you, you talk about it. Yeah, basic trust and innocence. Why, yeah. why innocent? Because, you know, everything is fine, you know. <laughs> You know, you're happy to smile at people if they treat you well. I mean, you know, you don't trust somebody's going to mistreat you or exploit you until something happens, and they do. And then you develop the, the distrust. And so distrust is develop something that develop. Basic trust is already there. It can only get limited. But as, as you were saying, basic trust fully, if there's such a thing as fully realized, it it exists, you still have it, even if things don't turn out for the best, in, in as far as the ego is concerned, right? That, that the things you, the, the digestion, the, the digestive system isn't working. Even if you don't wake up in the morning after going to sleep at night, the trust is all of this is okay. Yeah, it is okay and, and what, uh, it would be fine too, yeah. So how does that play into the Enneagram? Well, that takes us to the holy idea. It's based on idea of holy, uh, basic trust because the loss of the basic trust makes the individual develop strategies of how to deal with the world. And those strategies of how to deal with the, with the world, how to run their life, how to live, these strategies becomes then sort of embodied in what I call the ego ideal, how to be. Because really, 
the basic thoughts is related to something else. I mentioned that book, which is the holding environment, which is how much love and caring there is in our original experience. So the mechanism or the study is how do we live in, and how we are going to be so that we would, there wouldn't be this love and caring and nourishment and that we will, we will be fine. And that is then, uh, I, I call it in the uh, Holy Idea book, is um, uh, basic, uh, basic trust when it is limited or lost to a distrust which becomes a specific reaction, reaction to, to that loss. And that reaction, which is a, a beginning of ego, orients the ego to constellate itself in one of nine ways, depending on the holy idea, which also connected to the spiritual quality, which then becomes the, the basis of the how this reaction or how the specific reaction, which is the way we respond to situations in general. And that way of respond is, as I said, is embodied in an idea or idea of how we're going to be, how we're going to interact, how we're going to relate to the world and other people. And that develops then our type. Yeah, I can see how my own lack of basic trust, I compensate for my lack of basic trust as a five, which sends me, if I only knew enough, if I only had enough information, enough knowledge, I would be more, I, I, I would regain that basic trust as opposed to knowing you've already got basic trust. I mean, you're born with that in that state. So it's already present, it's distorted, or I'm, I'm blocked from it, or whatever I've done, so I can't reach it. And that striving to get something that's going to bring me back to what I already have is always counterproductive. That, in, in a sense, you take, and this is a mixing of my <laughs> spiritual metaphors here, but you, but you sort of take a Taoist, way-woo-way, non-coercive action approach, so that all, it, it, at least the way I've been reading this, and if I'm wrong, please correct me, but it's don't do what you're naturally inclined to do. Just be with what's happening and basic trust. You'll rediscover the basic trust. And you, and I, in my case, a five, you won't bury the trust or come up with a pseudo trust based on knowledge and right. the fact that I can never have enough. I don't know if that is making any yeah. sense. But. Yeah. So for five, the ego ideal becomes knowing, knowledge. Yeah. But and the knowledge really, in the way I describe it and, and the keys of the Enneagram, is a slight distortion of the true quality, which is understanding, understanding reality. So the five think by accumulating knowledge, they will be okay. However, if they understand themselves and reality, then they will see it's not a matter of how much I know, is what I am. Exactly. And, and what you are is going to be, I don't know, held by the universe, whatever. It's, what you are is going to be 
connected to this basic trust. That's the realization. Uh, that's the realization. That is enlightenment, having that as a felt experience, knowing that beyond the conceptual way of knowing things. Yeah, well, and that, that, that I'm also got, bringing up, you know, Rami, that to get into the spiritual path or to the spiritual uh, endeavor or the journey is not just to be free from our trouble and suffering, but to discover reality. And reality is amazing, beautiful secrets and endless secrets and surprises and discoveries. And, and it's, I, I want people to, to not just want spiritual work, just to be free from the problem, but to see that, no, it is really the, the true reason why we're here is to enjoy the reality, enjoy God and what God has given you know, you know. I remember you talking about Tikkun, that the, the human being are to sort of complete creation and and correct it. But what for? If, when it is completed, when we feel it completed, it is fun. It is enjoyable. It's blissful. And part of the bliss is not you just sit and feel happy. No, you're continually discovering new interesting things that turns you on. So life becomes an adventure. That is a perfect place to end. I mean, thank you so much. This was, this was very, very interesting. And hopefully people got a lot out of this. I certainly did. Our guest today, A.H. Almas, is the author of Keys to the Enneagram, How to Unlock the Highest Potential of Every Personality Type. You can learn more about his work at diamondapproach.org. And you can read my essay on the Enneagram and uh, on the Spirituality and Health website, spiritualityhealth.com. Hamid, thank you so much for talking with us on Spirituality and Health Podcast. Good, good talking with you, Rami. You've been listening to the Spirituality and Health Podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share us on social media and tag us at Spirit Health Mag. You can also follow me on the Spirituality and Health website, where I write a regular column called Roadside Musings. Don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. The Spirituality and Health podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Mallory Corbin. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.